Hi there, this episode is an audio rip of a YouTube video. If there are any references to the screen or to the video itself, then be sure to go over to YouTube and actually check out the video, which will be the same title as this podcast. Thanks. Okay, welcome back to part two definitions um i'm not going to go into a lot of depth with this one because really the definitions is a reference section it's not there to learn or to master or to understand its content it's there for you to obtain a reference so you know but what i will give you a heads up on for example is the way the way the exam uses it now the first Four questions or so are from part one, but then you'll have two or two questions, I think, or maybe more from part two. And this is a common way that they this is the common way that they're written, like this. So you, you end up with a question, and you know you may straight away know the answer from the question, but quite quite often, if you don't, if you didn't got a clue, then really all you got to do is look through the definitions at the answers until you find the question. Quite a lot of people kind of get fifty percent in this section, which means they get one of the two one of the two questions wrong, which is quite quite amazing, really. Because um, I mean, if you don't know that this is an auxiliary circuit, all you got to do is say, "Oh, I don't, I don't know," um, and look for the answers in definitions. When you come to auxiliary, you'll find the question. So really, it shouldn't be hard to obtain that mark. But um, just just just. Just so we know what we've covered it, let's let's look at a couple of important things to remember. So we have um, the methods of protection are in there. So let's remind ourselves: basic protection was protection against electric shock in a fault-free condition. So when we talked about basic protection, we said basic protection is what stops us touching a live part when there is no fault present. So that is insulation, barriers, obstacles, placing out of reach, enclosures, things like that are all part of a basic protective measure. Fault protection, on the other hand, is protection against electric shock under a single fault condition, so one fault. So a good example of this is your earthing and your bonding and your selection of an appropriate protective device. Um, in specialised protective measures, it might be an isolating transformer or it might be a second layer of insulation but we must have a basic and a full protective measure. Some other examples of definitions that are useful to you to observe. Um, types of overcurrents. We're going to talk about overcurrents a lot um, from chapter 41, really, um, in depth, and through, through chapter 43 and then into part 5. So we need to understand what these different currents are. So an overcurrent is defined as a current exceeding the rated value. For conductors, this is the current carrying capacity which we have a value for we use iz we'll cover that later on but if i also say to you a cable can carry 27 amp when it's installed in the reference method of surface clipped direct and you chose to put that on a circuit protected by a 32 amp breaker then technically that 32 amp breaker is not protecting that cable from overload if overload was to occur but you know Overcurrent is the current over overgoing the rating of the cable. Now, an overload current, like the example I just gave, this is an overcurrent that occurs in a circuit which is electrically sound. So there is no fault present on the circuit. So a circuit that can carry an overload current, but not actually contain a fault, 
we're thinking about uh, two common types of circuits that we're thinking about here is a motor, a motor doing too much work, or most common, um, a socket Alice circuit. We have too many things plugged into the circuit. So, you know, a, a shower circuit, a cooker circuit, those can't overload because they are fixed ratings. They are 10 kilowatts, 6 kilowatts, 3.5 kilowatts, whatever they are. They won't pull more in a fault-free scenario. Fault current, on the other hand, is a current resulting from a fault. So we've had a fault occur. Quite often this is a very high fault because we install our circuits to induce uh, to introduce very low earth in, uh, very low values of impedance either through a short circuit line to the neutral or line to line for three phase or from any line conductor to earth we deliberately install a circuit of low impedance to achieve high fault currents the objective there is the high fault currents will then be translated to very quick disconnection times so there's a big difference between a fault current and an overload current. When you have a breaker of maybe X value and a cable of X value, an overload current can be anywhere between these gaps or just slightly over that gap. They're not substantially larger. They can be quite large, but normally they're a couple of amps larger. And so you'll see later on with overcurrent protection, we try to avoid overload currents of long duration. Fault currents, on the other hand, they are up there large, large currents that choose to um, choose to force their way through the circuit and operate in that protected device. So I understand the different types of overcurrent support, and we'll repeat this as we go through when we describe the actual fault scenario, and we describe the circuit arrangement, earth for loop impedance. Uh, it'll, it'll start to make a lot more sense once we get to chapter 41. Okay, so like I mentioned in part one with skilled persons, etc., I said we'll cover this in part two, so that's here. Now, in Amendment 3 of the 17th edition, the competent person definition was struck through. They could no longer use the competent person for reasons which I think we all know, but, you know. So instead, they've now expanded on the instructed person and skilled in person um, definition using electrically in the brackets there and when we actually look at the skilled person the, the 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 there's familiarity with the old competent person definition but they've definitely added some terms and the terms that they've added are um, adequate education and training yeah so a skilled person must have adequate education and training relative to the nature of the work being carried out to avoid damage at all times and an instructed person must be instructed effectively by a skilled person okay so it's always relevant to the nature of the work and this is one of the big areas that i have with um gib grading and all this stuff where really it's too broad a scope and there's no defined competence with regards to i mean even modern things like um solar and ev so you know that we need to define suitable competence for the individual work being carried out and that's what an instructed and skilled person is defined as relevant to the nature of the work you then have your ordinary person. This is just someone who's neither skilled nor instructed. So this could be any any Joe Blogs at work or your typical homeowner. There's also definitions on voltage. Now, I mentioned earlier earlier in uh, the introduction video, was it the part one video? I can't remember. Where low voltage goes up to 1,000 volts AC and 1,500 volts DC. That was between live conductors. It's 600 volts or 900 volts between live conductor and earth. 
When we go over that, we're then in what's known as high voltage from BS7671. Now, people in high voltage may go, oh, you've got medium volts and high volts, but from the BS7671 perspective, we are low or high. High volts is over 1,000 volts AC. Low volts is up to it. But we have this other one, extra low. Extra low is a voltage from zero volts up to 50 volts AC, 120 volts DC. So you'll notice, especially as we get into part seven with regards to bathrooms and swimming pools and things like that, there'll be a lot of use of extra low voltage as a protective means. And quite often the protective measure, whilst it says they're 50 volts, they may be brought down even further. 12 volts, 24 volts. So, you know, extra low voltage is a safety voltage. It's not a very practical voltage, but it's a safety voltage. We also have, if you look through, you'll see that there's energy efficiency. So there's a whole little list of energy efficiency specific um, definitions as well. Towards the end of the list, you get this picture. Now this picture is there to illustrate the earthing and bonding arrangements. It might not be clear to all of you. Um, and I can understand why, because quite often with the um, you know, like guide or other books, we see you know, green and yellow cables and a picture of a fuse board and a picture of a water pipe. Um, in your exam, you will see exactly that. There'll be a picture of a fuse board and a water pipe and, um, and maybe a appliance and maybe a gas pipe and there'll be cables going from a main earthing terminal to all of those. And there will be, um, three of them will be labeled like X, Y, and Z. And the question would be, what's X or what's Y? It's using this drawing. So we're gonna talk about extraneous conductive parts and exposed conductive parts a lot more as we push on through. Um, through part four and a lot more in chapter 54. But for now, let's remember that an exposed conductive part is a part of the electrical system, trunking, conduit, uh, the bodywork of a boiler, bodywork of a cooker. Um, it's an exposed conductive part of the electrical system that under a full condition can become life. An extraneous conductive part is a part of or a part of um, metal equipment that is at zero volt reference potential so it comes from underneath the ground normally at the source water or gas or structural steel like RSJ but it introduces a zero volt reference potential within the boundaries of the equipotential zone of the electrical system well that means is it brings in zero volts it needs to be strapped into the bonding now an extraneous conductive part could be water could be gas could be structural steel RSJ it is not part of the electrical system um, that you distribute. It's known as part of the electrical system because it's zero volt reference to earth, but it's an extraneous conductive part. It's not a conduit, it's not a tray, it's not a trunking. Those are exposed conductive parts. You'll have an illustration here, and you can see you've got your source electrode, main earth and terminal, and here we have the main earth and terminal B. P is a main metallic water pipe, so that's an extraneous conductive part. C is extraneous conductive parts such as steelwork. And you'll notice that you have this number two going to P and to C. So those are main protective bonding conductors. 
going to the two extraneous conductive parts. Now M, our exposed conductive part, this could be cooker, boiler, whatever. So you notice the circuits from the main earthen terminal to the exposed conductive parts is simply the CPC, the circuit protective conductor. However, between exposed and exposed conductive parts, boiler to cooker, or exposed to extraneous conductive parts, boiler to steelwork, there could be this other conductor that's labelled 4, which is your supplementary bonding. So study that, and maybe if, if it confuses you a little bit, um, let me know. I can send you a couple of colour versions that are better drawn, or if you look online you'll find them if you do need trouble with that. But, you know, familiarise yourself with this drawing. Alright, that's going to conclude definitions, really, because at the back end after that drawing, you've got a list of symbols. Uh, it gives you a symbol and where they're first used in the document. I'm not going to stress too much on those, because we'll, we'll find the symbols where we need them. And then abbreviations. Uh, have a little look at that, familiarise yourself with that. Wonder why they're not alphabetical. They're in a random order. Um, and then we'll move on to part three. Next.